0: Trust in God and God will make your path straight. And in all things and everything, lean on God for your understanding. Please be seated. When we had our annual parish meeting a little while ago, I spoke about the way that Advent is a period of disruption. And our annual general meeting was a time of disruption, disrupting what we think are the ways that we're going to move forward and seeking what we can do in Christ Jesus to allow the kingdom to be released and his glory to live on the earth as it was intended. We live constantly in the promise that Christ will come again, that Christ will be with us, that our Saviour will never turn his back on us. And yet today's reading is another sense of that disruption. John asks his his followers to ask Jesus, well, are you the one that's supposed to come? Are you the person that's supposed to be the Messiah? And Jesus comes on the earth and he's even disrupting this great prophet that that comes to announce his uh, coming. This great prophet in John also has his ideas and thoughts about what the Messiah is and what the Messiah should be doing here on earth. At this point in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus has made us thoroughly aware aware of his ministry. He's preached, taught, and done many works of compassion for those that are burdened and afflicted. In chapter 10, just before this passage, we read about the disciples being enlisted and instructed on how to go forward in this familiar ministry that is an extension of his own. Jesus's healing and reconciling ministry has already been met with opposition, especially from those who are religious or religious authorities, such as the Pharisees and the Sadducees, whose attitude is in very stark contrast to the crowds which enthusiastically welcome Jesus into every town into every place and into every space that they are a part of. And yet there are growing concerns even amongst those that would be Jesus' supporters, those that would be the people that see Jesus as the Messiah. We know that John has recognised Jesus and pointed him out as the one who is from God. And it's also noted in the Gospels that God acknowledged him as his son, in whom he is well pleased when he was baptised. So why the hesitation about Jesus' identity? Why does John question who Jesus is? Asking, is it him or is it another that they're waiting for? There seems to be a distinct gap between the remote role of the Messiah, as John saw it, and described it to the crowd, and hearing what Jesus is doing now and his behavior as he hears it from being locked away in his prison John had pointed to John had pointed to a severe proclaimer of the gospel someone who was going to judge the earth he saw the winnowing pitchfork he saw the weeds being thrown onto the fire he saw Jesus blowing away the chaff and leaving away, leaving only the wheat. And yet, there is something different about Jesus. There is something that even challenges John the Baptist in his understanding about who the Messiah is. In many ways, to, as I read this passage, I was reminded of Jonah, who went to Nineveh. And when he finally, having gone through being swallowed by a great fish and being dropped at Nineveh, He goes and he tells, right, you are going to be judged. You need to repent. So the king repents and turns the whole community back to God. And God says to Jonah, well, they've turned back. I'm not going to destroy them. And wasn't Jonah furious? He wasn't happy with God's response about what was happening in in terms of the judgment. He'd gone through all this. He told them that they were going to be destroyed and he wanted to see the destruction happen. But that's not how Jesus works. That's not how God works, is it? He loves us and he created us. Jonah doesn't celebrate that. And in some ways, John the Baptist isn't celebrating uh, what Jesus is doing. Jesus summons us to repentance and to return to God. And to have the kingdom view in all that we do. But in doing that, he is also engaged in healing and helping those that are afflicted within the crowd. As we read in Isaiah, he releases his glory by allowing the Spirit to work on earth amongst those that are hurt, that have their souls hurt, that have their bodies hurt, and helping them to reconcile their relationship with God. He interprets the Torah. He instructs them on how to live. And his behaviour was about mercy and compassion. That was his supreme criteria. This was not the Messiah that John expected or announced. And I find it really interesting that this is happening from a prison. And people are bringing him... He's locked away, so people are going to see Jesus, bringing him information, going to see Jesus, bringing him... It's like... He's stuck in this, in this world. Now, for him, it was a physical prison. But as I read this, how many times do we create our spiritual prison for ourselves? How many times do we create the shoulds, the musts, or this is, how we've, this is how we do it, and we need to keep doing it, and we imprison ourselves in this world that says God can only operate in this way. And we forget to allow God to be sovereign and we forget to allow God to allow his wisdom to be greater than ours. God works in a way that even Job couldn't understand. When Job says, why are you doing it? He doesn't answer him by saying why he's doing it. He says, well, how can you know everything that I know? How can you know the wisdom that I have? Jesus has that wisdom. Jesus is God and God is Jesus. So in everything that Jesus does, he has a wisdom that is beyond us, that is beyond John. So as he releases his kingdom while he's here on earth, it's not going to be John's way. It's not going to be my way with all my shoulds, musts, and it's not going to be our way in terms of if we have any rules and regulations that Jesus needs to work through. It will always be in a way that Jesus knows through the wisdom of God how his creation needs to be dealt with. And this prison that we have has messengers coming to us. Very often we'll hear people interpreting the gospel or sharing words about our discipleship. I know for many, many years I was told, Rob, you're going to be a priest when I was very young and I kept getting the message from Jesus and... Knocking it back, you know, do the, you know, try and get the bat out, hit it for a four, hit it for a six, and very often it was you know, the ball was going off to the slips or to the wicket keeper, and I was getting caught out all the time. So we're, all, I am deeply, I am one of those that would be deeply seen to be someone that constantly worked against Jesus and His will for my life for many many years. I didn't. I wasn't the perfect disciple. I wasn't even a disciple at one point. I refused to acknowledge that there was any other way except the way that I could understand. And yet, God opened my mind to this existence of his power and his wisdom and his love for us in a way that I was truly blessed and now come to speak to you about. Asking you to look at yourself and see if This passage disrupts your imprisonment in the shoulds, the musts, or this is how we've done it and we need to keep doing it this way. All those things are transient and change. But one of the things that never changes or is ever transient is God's mercy and his compassion for us. Grace and mercy flow from the cross The cross that Jesus was on. That is really the only truth. That is really the only must that we have to hold on. The should, the must and the thing that we can only hold on to is that actually we have no power in this. We actually cannot do anything for our own salvation and for our own glory. And this is the thing that brings me joy today, that brings me excitement because if it was left to me to get to God in my own power, well, there is no way. There is no way I would get there. I couldn't even imagine how, where, what, what I would start to do to remedy all the things that I've done wrong. There is just no way. And yet Jesus says to me quite clearly, grace and mercy flow from my cross. Grace and mercy flow through our communion table to all of us. So hold on to that. You see, we can be the John the Baptist and have this image of what it must be to be a Christian or to be a a person that believes in Jesus and come up with many rules and regulations. But when you come to the communion table and hold out your hand, at that point... When you partake in communion with Jesus, the only rule and regulation is that Jesus is giving you grace. Jesus is giving you mercy. And He loves you and cares for you and will never turn His back on you. And when we put out our hand, that is what we're accepting, isn't it? We're not accepting the rules and regulations that come with the Acts of the Anglican Church although I have to be bound by them in many different facets of what I do. We could be doing that in a park. We don't need a building. We hold out our hand to accept the grace and mercy that Jesus gives to us. And as I think about it today, on this day where we celebrate the joy of what comes from God, I cannot think of anything more joyous than knowing that there is nothing I can do to have my salvation and it is all in God's hands. Because when I think of it that way, I have true joy because I know that I will be with my Lord and Saviour one day. And for those of us that have that, I will, I will be joining you. And for those of us that might still be struggling from the prisons of our spiritual, from, from, a, from our spiritual prisons and still be locked away in thoughts, I challenge you to step out I challenge you to break down those barriers. And when you come to communion today, just hold out your hand. Think of no shoulds or musts or whatever's and just take communion, knowing that grace and mercy flow from the body of Christ into your heart, mind and soul. And allow that to fill you up today. Allow that to nurture you today. Allow that to energise your faith as you move forward into this week. The Lord be with you.